This morning our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 2. And if you have your Bible with you, would you turn with me please to Luke chapter 2 and you'll find it on page 1591 of the church Bible. Page 1591, Luke chapter 2. And this morning we are coming to what is, I would want to argue, one of the least known scripture passages that refer to the coming of Christ as we know it, of course, as Christmas. And so we're coming to Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25. And we're focusing this morning on what seems to be an elderly man called Simeon. Most of us are familiar with the story of Simeon and Anna. And this morning we're focusing on Simeon and his wonderful response to the birth of the Christ. Child, And so we're beginning at Luke chapter 2 at verse 25. And Luke writes these words. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. Praise God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. I suspect most of us are familiar with the television program called Name That Tune. And if you remember the program from years ago, they would have contestants uh, sitting there ready to engage with all that was happening. And the idea was that a note would be played and then you, or the contestant rather, would name that tune. And sometimes you could, they could name it in one note, sometimes it would take several, some they couldn't at all. So, here we have the first Presbyterian version of Name That Tune, and it is a popular Christmas carol. Let's begin with the first note, and if you're ready, call it out, so you need to concentrate. Here it comes. John? Name That Tune, our first one. Again, joy to the world it was. Well done. Our second tune. (laughs) 
Again. What child is this? John, thank you. I'm getting a nod of the head. And our final tune. Came upon a midnight clear. Well done and thank you. Some of you are paying attention and some of you have just woken up in the last couple of minutes. You're thinking, what is going on? But when you're involved in name that tune, what it causes you to do is this. Slow down, concentrate, and listen. That's not easy to do at Christmas time. Because there are so many things going on, it is hard to work out exactly what is going on. And so this morning, as we come to look at Luke chapter 2, we're coming to look at the story of Simeon. And the wonderful thing about Simeon is this, that I have of Simeon the utmost admiration. And over the centuries, the church has taken Simeon's wonderful prayer and they've turned it into a song. And that has been sung multiple times. But it's not the only song in what's known as Luke's infancy narrative. In fact, there are four of them. And all of these appear in the opening chapters of Luke's gospel. I suspect most of us don't know that in Luke's Gospel there are four songs in those opening chapters. And the first we touched on earlier as a prayer response was the Magnificat. comes from Luke chapter 1. And of course it's called the Magnificat, My Soul Magnifies the Lord. The second one is Zechariah's song. You remember the story of Zechariah. Zechariah, of course, was the father of John the Baptist. He was not expecting uh, his wife Elizabeth to have a baby. And, of course, if you remember, Zechariah was struck dumb when he absolutely, utterly refused to believe what God was doing. And then at the birth of his son, son, he lets out this great song of praise known as the Benedictus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then the third one, of course, is the angel's song. Something of a minor song, but it's right there. We had echoes of it moments ago. Glory in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And so you've got those three songs in chapters 1 and 2. And then we come to Simeon's song, the one we're going to study this morning. And it's called the Nunc Dimittis. And it means, now you dismiss. And so we have these four songs in Luke's Gospel. And most of us are unaware of them. But isn't it interesting to think that when we sing Christmas carols, we are simply reflecting what Scripture did way back in the first century. Because the birth of Christ was just so exciting, the best way it could be recorded, experienced, focused on, was through praise. And that is exactly what happens to Simeon this morning. The most asked question at this time of year, and some of you have asked it, and some of you have been asked, is this, are you ready for Christmas? Three weeks ago, most of us would say, 
Absolutely not. No. Today, well, not as ready as I would like to be, but I'm getting there. And the good news is this. Regardless of how ready you are, it's coming. And it will be here before you can turn around. And as you look back over those infancy narratives of Luke's gospel, Zechariah was not ready. His wife Elizabeth was not ready. Mary was not ready. Joseph was not ready. The shepherds were not ready. Arguably, only the angels, to some extent the wise men, and Simeon were ready. And what does it tell us about Simeon? Look at the passage again at verse 25. And Luke records, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And then moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts where the parents brought in this child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Did you notice anything strange there? Anything just a little unusual? Simeon is not, as far as we can tell, he may have been this, but this passage doesn't tell us, and one would imagine it would. Simeon was not a major religious figure in the temple or in the city of Jerusalem. It doesn't tell us that he sat on a national committee to represent the religious understanding of the people of Israel. It doesn't tell us that he was a natural leader. None of that appears here. None of that appears here. Was he an inspired singer who leads and directs orchestra and musicians, choirs? There's no mention of it. Would he represent Judaism at a national or international gathering? No. None of that is mentioned here. But notice what it does say. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Now, isn't that something? Wouldn't you like to have that said about you when you're no longer here? She was righteous and devout. That's quite something. And then it also tells us this. Three times in those brief opening verses, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. The Spirit spoke to him. Can you think of something better than to be this close with the Holy Spirit before Pentecost came? Can you imagine what that was like to walk with him and talk with him every day? Three times it tells us he was known by, a friend of, close to the Holy Spirit. Remarkable. And he was told that before he would die, he would see the Christ. Now here's my question. Can you imagine what it is like for God to break into your life in such a spectacular? 
spectacular fashion and to say to you that all of the darkness of the intertestamental period, 400 years, no prophets, no revelation, no burning bush, no message in the sky, nothing. And then suddenly, you are the recipient of what God is about to do, which people had been waiting for for generations upon generations, hundreds of years. I have to confess, I'm useless at keeping secrets. Absolutely useless. I can keep other people's secrets, but my own, I can't. I'm hopeless. I want to tell everyone about something exciting that's just happened. And notice what Simeon does. He doesn't form a community. He doesn't go to the priests and say, the Messiah is coming soon. Let me show you what's about to take place. He doesn't go to Herod and say, God has told me that the Messiah is coming. Herod, you ought to know. Be prepared. Tell everyone. None of that takes place. And Simeon righteous and devout, close to the Holy Spirit, waits. And waits. And prays. It is quiet. I'm not sure I could do that. But Simeon does. Why is he able to do that why doesn't he shout it from the mountaintops because Simeon knows that the birth of the Messiah is not about Simeon it's about God and he waits patiently deep contentment deep contentment That God has it in control. He knows what he's doing. He's orchestrating and engineering and bring to pass his purpose and will. The eternal decrees of God are about to be unfolded. And Simeon is content to wait. Enjoying deep communion with the Holy Spirit. About two weeks ago, I asked a young mom who has an eight-year-old and a three-year-old, I asked her about her children and were they excited about Christmas and can they wait for Santa to come. And she told me that her eight-year-old, when she was tucked into bed that night, prayed, Lord, help me to make it to Christmas Eve. She was just so excited, just so excited. Couldn't imagine anything more exciting, more wonderful than Christmas Eve. Help me to make it. That was Simeon. I suspect most of us don't like to wait. If you are waiting for a romantic relationship that has not transpired, 
And you have prayed that God would bring someone into your life whom you could love and fall deeply in love with and become engaged and married and have imagined a family in the years to come. And you're waiting. Oh boy, that can be painful. Perhaps you are married and you are waiting on children. Seems as though it's never going to happen. Oh, that can be hard. Especially this time of year. Children are everywhere. And yet it would seem that God has not blessed you in that area. And oh, that is tough and painful. Perhaps you have a wee one on the way and you're just not sure what to do. This is number five. And your house can't take it. Or you're waiting on promotion. And you need that salary in order to meet your bills. And you have a teenager going off to college next year. And you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And that's hard. And it's hard to wait when you don't have what you've longed for. That's tough. That's tough. But here is the question. These are one of the things I want you to take away this morning. Because in the midst of all of the lessons that the story of Simeon teaches us, it teaches us this. That while we're waiting, what kind of person are we becoming? God doesn't delay unnecessarily. His timing is so perfect that for us it often seems late. But it's perfect. And the question is, what kind of person are you becoming? How was God working in the life of Simeon, teaching him patience and endurance and perseverance and refining and molding and shaping him? So whenever you find yourself in a situation of waiting, when God is not answering prayers as quickly as you would think, the question is, who are you becoming in the midst of waiting Are you becoming more Christ-like? Are you moving towards Him in your prayer life and in how you interact with others? Who are you becoming in the midst of waiting? Are you drawing closer to Him? Is your faith this Christmas more real, richer, fuller than it was 12 months ago? In the midst of all of the waiting, all too often we're focused on the waiting rather than who we are becoming in the midst of it. And as the passage moves on, what else do we see? Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts where the parents brought to him the child Jesus to do for him what was required of the custom of the law. And Simeon took him in his arms and said, Sovereign Lord, 
As you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people Israel. I think most of us thrill when we take a new baby in our arms. This incident happened probably around 40 days after the birth of Christ. Mary and Joseph have him in the temple to give thanks. According to the custom of the law of Moses, they would sacrifice a small animal in reflection of their commitment and thanksgiving to God for the birth of Christ. And here is Simeon taking the saviour of the world in his arms. Wouldn't you like to have been there just to listen in on his prayer? How he gives thanks to God for giving him the privilege of having this Christ child in his arms. Thanks to God for meeting Mary and Joseph. Thanks to God to seeing his purposes fulfilled. But in fact, that's not how his prayer begins. He doesn't begin by giving thanks for this opportunity. He doesn't give thanks that God has answered his prayers. He doesn't focus on himself. He doesn't even focus on Mary and Joseph. He begins with two of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. And his prayer is so utterly spectacular. It is packed with the language of Scripture. And he begins, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Because as we look at this passage, we are tempted to think that here is God blessing and encouraging an older man for his faithfulness. Now let's not undermine faithfulness. Simeon has been waiting and persevering. And he has been faithful. Probably for several years. Doesn't tell us, but I would imagine for several years. And Simeon begins, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Why does he begin, Sovereign Lord? Because he fully understands that God is sovereign in salvation. God is sovereign in the incarnation. God is sovereign in terms of all of the eternal decrees of God. His purposes and plans have come to fruition now. And only a sovereign God can bring it to pass. And Simeon is lost in the immensity of the love and grace of God. That's what's moved him. That's what stirred him. That's what takes him to another level entirely. Sovereign Lord. That's his instinctive, natural response. Uninhibited, unrestrained, a 
God-centered focus in his life. This is a picture of scintillating beauty. Eternal harmonies. Simeon gets it. So how do we wrap all of this up this morning? Well, three things for you to take home. Number one. Simeon was so close to God that God granted him the discernment to understand what he was doing. When you are waiting, when you are uncertain, when you have longed for something to take place and God is not answering your prayers, pray for discernment. Father, what are you doing? What can I not see? Show me where you're at work. Secondly, who am I becoming in the midst of waiting? Am I more Christ-like today than I was at the beginning of this period? Is my relationship with him moved to that deeper, fuller, richer level? Who am I becoming in the midst of the waiting? God will not waste an opportunity to make us more Christ-like. Thirdly and finally, and you will see this at the end of the passage, and we didn't get a chance to read this, jump down to verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Number one, discernment. Number two, Father, who am I becoming in the midst of the waiting? And number three, Father, grant to me place the grace of God while I'm waiting. Grant to me, please, your hand of blessing. Grant to me, please, the ability to grasp the enormity of the magnitude of what you achieved that first Christmas. That's what defined Simeon. Not that he was a great leader. Not that he represented, as we said earlier, the people of Israel and some national council. It was none of them. He was a friend of the Holy Spirit. My prayer for each one of us as individuals and as a congregation is this. That this Christmas season, in the midst of all of the busyness, the midst of the frenetic pace of life, you would intentionally take time out to grasp the enormity of who he is and the immensity of his love. May each one of us have this special Christmas for the simple reason that Christ is at the center of it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. Thank you that when you call us to know you, 
Not only do you break into our lives and give us a new heart and soul and mind, but you give to us your Holy Spirit and allow us to walk with you the rest of our days. Father, we know that your redemptive purposes are birthed at Christmas. And may each one of us understand afresh the wonder and reality of this Christmas season. Father, bless us, please, in all we seek to do for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.